The reading is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28, and is on page 798 on your Pew Bible. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day he raised, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what, he has, been what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Word of God, word of life. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Tom Clancy started writing those Jack Ryan novels of his in 19, <clears throat> 1984. The very first one was made into one of my favorite movies, The Hunt for Red October, a submarine movie, always intense, close quarters. There's a Jack Ryan TV series that just finished its fourth and final season on Amazon, too. And this past Thursday night, I finished the last episode. If you don't know, Jack Ryan is a CIA operative who saves the world over and over and over again. He loves his country and the safety of its people more than anything else in life. How do we know that? Well, he's willing to undergo great suffering. That's how. In this last episode, he is tortured by the bad guys as they try to get him to tell everything he knows. Not not a unique scenario for these kinds of shows, right? It reminded me of the end of Braveheart. If you remember the Mel Gibson movie when he plays William Wallace, the Scottish nationalist who fights to overthrow English imperialism in his own homeland. And at the end of that movie, they are torturing him. And instead of finally begging for mercy, his executioner quiets down the crowd who are watching this ghastly scene only to hear him cry one last time, right? How do we know how sincere William Wallace was? Well, look what suffering he was willing to go through. It happens in real life, too. This past week, many of us remembered the 60th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. In one of his other most famous speeches five years later, the very day before he was killed, actually, he said, I've been to the mountaintop, I've seen the promised land, I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. He knew the threats he faced. 
part of him expected to be killed. Can you imagine? And yet, he persisted. He kept speaking out, which clearly showed how sincerely he felt about his cause. To tell the story of Martin Luther King or as a screenwriter or a novelist tries to tell the story of a character, how do you convey the genuine sincerity of someone's intent? Like, how do you illustrate the heart's deep feelings? Well, not just with words. Words can go so far. Images and actions speak louder than words, and few images communicate how deeply a person feels better than that person's willingness to suffer for it, sacrifice for it, maybe even die for it. And that's what today's gospel text is doing. We're in the 16th chapter of Matthew's gospel, nearly two-thirds of the way through Matthew's good news, and in just the last few chapters, Matthew has shown what the Messiah does through the actions and words of Jesus. Jesus feeds the hungry, even when there's nothing to eat. He brings wholeness and healing to the most broken people. He includes the most marginalized people, like a Canaanite woman, like the outsider of the outsiders. Jesus generates peace amidst great fear, and He condemns the self-righteousness of the religious know-it-alls to their faces. These words, these actions constitute the ministry of Jesus. Like, that's, that's what it is. It's all good news. Gospel is the Greek word. But this good news, feeding and healing and peacemaking and including and calling out self-righteousness, the gospel is received as threat to the powerful ones. What Jesus is saying and doing is actually dangerous to Jesus. But throughout the ages, there have been cynics who have wondered, okay, but how sincere was Jesus really? Like, maybe this was a person trying to get worshipped by people. Maybe this is a person that wanted attention or some claim to power, and he just thought, being religious, that's how I'll do it. It's a valid question. Because sadly, we have all seen and know and have studied plenty of insincere, power-hungry leaders, religious, political, national, and local. How can we know how pure the motivations of Jesus might be? Well, His willingness to suffer and even die for the cause is the illustration the gospel writers use to answer our question. Jesus just puts it out there in this text we just heard read. All along, he has known he can't just stay away from Jerusalem. His ministry can't only be said and done everywhere but the holy city. For Jesus to not go to Jerusalem would be like somebody who wrote the perfect musical saying, well, I don't want to take my show to Broadway because I'm afraid what the critics might say about it. They might tear it apart. Okay, well, Broadway is where great musicals go. Jesus is Messiah. He is Jewish. He is a descendant of King David, the guy who founded the city of Jerusalem. Jesus can't 
not go to Jerusalem. Not and still be credible as the Son of God, the Son of Man. But Jesus also knows when He goes, because this is happening, His good news ministry is going to go over like a lead balloon with the most powerful people who happen to be the most violent people. It's not like Jesus wants to get killed or is trying to get himself killed. Jesus wants to persist in the good news. He wants to persist in his ministry because it brings God's joy. He wants to do it outside of Jerusalem and inside Jerusalem. But he knows his persistence. If he takes this good news there, it's going to almost certainly evoke harm. So, Jesus just names this for his disciples. And that's when Peter says, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. And this is oftentimes where the text can seem to go dark. At least that's the way I've received it many times over the years. I've heard this moment taught as, as though the sole purpose of Jesus was always to get to and die on the cross. Like, that's the whole point. As though Jesus' suffering is the cause. Like, Peter, shut your mouth because I got to go suffer. Suffering is why I'm here. As though execution, death by crucifixion, somehow is the thing, then salvation for the world is unlocked. So, Jesus, you got to get dying. Oftentimes, the theology of the cross gets taught to Christians like death is this elaborate trap set up by the devil, and God unlocks it, but there's only one way God can unlock it, and that's with the cross, the death on the cross. Ha-ha, did it, unlocked. But if Jesus dying on the cross is some magical solution to death, if that's all it takes, why would Jesus have a 30-year life and waste three years on a ministry? If life and death is just some cosmic game that God wins with Jesus dead on a cross, then shouldn't Jesus just go directly to the cross? Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Don't heal. Don't teach. Don't feed. Don't waste your time bringing peace. Just go die on the cross. Get her done. Matthew and all the Gospels elevate the story of Jesus' suffering and death not because that's the point, but because it communicates his persistence, how sincerely he believes in the cause. Suffering and death, that's not the cause of Jesus. Jesus' cause is life. True, joy-filled, peace-filled, abundant, loving life. It's the answer to the question I've been asking all week especially since last Sunday, because I've been asking, where is the place of joy in the Christian understanding of God? If you weren't with us last Sunday at our outdoor worship service, which was absolutely lovely, by the way, it was not 103 degrees last week, it ended with three people standing near our assembly holding signs like protesters. And then one of them spoke for as long as any of us remained outside. The band took the brunt because they were cleaning up all their stuff. And this one spoke 
very loudly, without amplification even, which was a point he was very proud of. Their signs said things like, repent or perish. And his words were very critical of me personally, accusing me of only doing this work for the money. And of Pastor Karen, heretic, because as a woman she should not be teaching men. And I allowed her to preach. Ooh, that was a joke. I don't allow Pastor Karen to preach. He went on and on about Lutheran lunacy, good alliteration, and he questioned all our sincerity as followers of God and even warned us to not watch the Packers next weekend or the Vikings. Bear fans, you're good. I tried to speak with him. He was not interested in speaking with me. My initial feelings were frustration and anger. But with time as I've reflected on this brother in Christ, it's been pity because I thought about this man's joyless Sunday. How he woke up compelled to put himself in the presence of our imperfect but inclusive reconciling fellowship to make it as clear as possible that we're all doing religion wrong and need to repent or we're going to perish which made me wonder, where is his sense of joy? The fruit of the Spirit is joy, Paul says. That's in the Bible. Amidst all the hell and the heresy and the perishing, how is Jesus' good news, the gospel, how is it good news for him or in his mind for us? And with that experience rolling around in my soul, then the next day I received a very thoughtful extensive note from someone who had come across our welcome statement. Not a member, but this person felt called to clearly explain to me what the actual biblical truth is regarding the ways we include and celebrate all people, as though I and we have not considered the Bible when we wrote our message of welcome. And again, as I read this theology of exclusion and judgment driven by fear of eternal condemnation, I wondered, where is their sense of joy? Jesus persists with His work through suffering, through death, through persecution, not so that some of us can go around condemning lady preachers to hell or to point out that we celebrate people's gifts at our own risk. Jesus does this persisting Jesus chooses to allow suffering to happen because Jesus knows our life together can bear God's kind of joy. That human fellowship has the capacity to bear and give and be God's joy. It's good news. <laughs> Are you willing to receive it? Are we willing to boldly admit to others that we have and do receive it again today? Because in today's cynical world, it's more in vogue to be negative, to see the negative, to talk about the negative, to complain. It's more popular, it's easier in many ways to say, yeah, that's garbage too. Yeah, I feel that too. Assume the worst. We might feel embarrassed at times to admit we hope for anything. It almost sounds naive. 
We might want to tuck in our gladness because it feels inappropriate amidst all that is wrong in the world. Christian joy, the joy of people who follow Jesus, the kind that comes from receiving the ministry of Jesus, all that healing and wholeness and forgiving and reconciling, those who receive that kind of gospel good news from Jesus, it moves people like us to persist through the dark hopelessness of this world and live feeding the hungry ourselves where there is nothing to eat, bringing wholeness and healing ourselves to the most broken ones, including the most marginalized people ourselves, generating peace amidst fear where we see it and condemning the self-righteousness of religious know-it-alls whenever we can. This was the ministry of Jesus. That was His cause. It's good news in a world that can be not so good, but it was created to be good, very good, and is redeemed in the joy of Christ. And we good news people see that too, don't we? That it is very good. It's how we can always, at all times, in all places, say, thanks be to God. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing.